Um, I was thinking about this uh, passage this week a lot, and we're going to be looking at it kind of from the lens of Joseph this morning. And so I just want to start with thinking about this a little bit of of how many of you can think of just different times in your life where you had a, a real crisis. And, and so when we say crisis, when we think about it, I was thinking about the definition of that and make sure we're clear on what we mean. But it's uh, defined as a time of intense difficulty, trouble or danger, often when an important decision must be made. It's a time of intense difficulty, trouble or danger that often leads to making a decision, a fork in the road, a difficult time where we have to have to make some hard decisions. And it's not often in those cases, those times of crisis, it's not clear on what we should do or how we should go forward. And when things start to press in on us, so there's, there's a tragedy or a heartbreak involved or those things come in and our emotions get really involved, they start to change our perspective and they crowd out and it makes it hard to know what to do. And so sometimes when those things that are difficult are right in front of us, they look bigger than they are. I've said this before, but it's always helpful for me. If I stand here and I hold my thumb up and I look outside the window and I see the big giant tree out there, if I put my thumb in front of my eye, my thumb looks bigger than that tree. Right? That's obvious. It's perspective. It's closer to me. And so it blots out that giant tree. And I just encourage you when you leave, walk by the tree and put your hand on it and you'll see how big it is. Right. You'll see how strong it is. You can't move it at all. It's huge. But from here and in the right perspective, my hand looks bigger or my thumb looks bigger, which we know is ridiculous. But in those moments of difficulty or crisis for the struggle that comes, we can believe that it's much bigger than it is. And so what happens in those difficult times is they press in on us. We're trying to make a decision and our distortion of our perspective makes it really difficult on what we should do and how we should proceed and what that looks like. And it's easy to become overwhelmed. It's easy to become anxious or fearful in those moments. And I start there this morning because we're going to look at this Christmas story that's very familiar in Matthew chapter one. Luke just read it to us, verses 18 to 25 there. And we're going to see Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, the man that God would choose to help raise him as a child and bring him up has a crisis, a very real crisis, as he's hit with this information of what's going on and in his life and the things he thought he knew. And suddenly they're all put into disarray. And so what we've been doing in this short series for Advent is we've been considering the birth of Jesus from these different perspectives. We started the first week thinking about Jesus's genealogy. And then we looked at uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth as they're giving birth to a son right before Jesus and their role in all this. Last week, Luke took us through and we looked at Mary. And today we're going to turn our focus on Joseph, who's in the middle of this crisis of what should he do and how should he proceed and what does it look like? And so as we do this, what we're going to do is I want us just to spend a few minutes on the story. And as we do, I know it's familiar, but I want you to fight to try to see it from Joseph's perspective, what he's dealing with and the information he has and what that must have been like and all that's pressing in on him. And then I want us to consider what God is teaching Joseph and then us through this story. And there's some pretty cool things that God's saying and showing us in this. But let's first just start with the story here in Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so what we have is, is that we've, we've talked about last week and the week before and all that surrounds this story. Uh, Luke took us through last week as the angel appears to Mary. He says, you're going to have a child and it's going to be of the Holy Spirit. She says, how is this going to be? I'm a virgin. Right? And, and the angel tells her, God's going to do this miraculous work. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to have this baby. And you're going to remain a virgin. And God's going to do this supernaturally and miraculously. And Mary wrestles with all that. and She worships God. And we saw this incredible picture of what God was doing in and through her. But what we get now is the other side of that story, that she's engaged to this young man named Joseph. Uh, Luke hit on this last week. If you were here, the, our understanding of engagement is not exactly what theirs was. Uh, when you entered into this relationship to be married, legally it was this if you were married and you went through this year-long process and then at the end was the wedding. But for you to get out of this engagement or this betrothal that, that's going on, it would be a divorce. Legally, it would be going through a divorce. So he was committed to this relationship and in it. And he finds out that Mary is now pregnant. And she comes to him. And from the story, what we get is it says as he... Uh, being a just man and unwilling to put her sh to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That it seems that Mary came to him and said, I'm pregnant and I've not been unfaithful and it's a miracle of God. And he says, OK, we're going to get a divorce. Right. That's that's what he's doing here as he hears the story and he starts to run that through his mind. And I want you to really think about the serious strain this would be for both of them in this situation. Right? We walked through Mary last week and the angel comes to Mary and he tells her she's going to be pregnant and God's going to do this. And then guess what happens as a virgin? She becomes pregnant. And so there's this uh, immediate understanding for her that God is really at work and he's doing this thing and he's spoken to her. And it's going to be difficult for her and there's going to be a whole lot of things that go with that and a lot of strain and a lot of issues. But at least she has this confirmation. She knows the truth. But when she shares it with Joseph, I want you to think about what that would be like to hear that. To have her come to you and say, yes, I know we're not married yet. And I know we've never slept together. And I know we're virgins in this situation, but I'm pregnant and I didn't cheat on you. How would you take that? How would that go? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a second. We can read the story and we can know how it plays out and know the whole thing and easily come to it and be like, come on, Joseph, it's Jesus. Right. We know the story. But in that moment and what Joseph hears, how would you hear that? And I think what Joseph is doing here is it says he's a just man. And he doesn't want to bring shame on her. So he's going to divorce her quietly. I think that's pretty much what most of us would do in that situation. Seems pretty reasonable as you think through that whole story. Now, we don't know the whole timeline exactly of how all this happened. We know that when Mary became uh, the angel came to her and told her and then she becomes pregnant, she goes to visit Elizabeth and Zachariah. We saw that a couple weeks ago. And then last week, Luke talked about that. And so we don't know if she knew she was pregnant and went and told Joseph and then went away for a while and he was stewing in this. Or she went away and came back and now she's starting to show and, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. But I didn't cheat on you. But you can start to feel the relational weight, the strain that would be on their relationship. And it's easy to read the story. I think if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes and who could blame him for what he says here and what he's thinking. 
Uh, I was talking about to my boys about it uh, last week. Jed and I were talking about it. And I said, what do you think? If you're Joseph, what would you think? Or what do you think he's thinking? And Jed said, uh, I think he would be thinking she's crazy and he feels sorry for. Her. I thought, yeah, that's probably pretty close to true. Right? She's saying, no, 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 it's a miracle. And God's doing this. And he's going, okay, right? How do I get out of this? And so you start to see this story and you start to see it's reasonable. And Joseph, by definition, is in the middle of a crisis, an intense and difficult situation that often comes with an important decision to be made. Am I going to stay with her? Am I going to believe what she's telling me? Or am I going to get out of this? And he's quietly made up in his mind, I'm going to do it in the kindest and gentlest way, but I'm getting out. And so when we think about that story that we know, we know the story so well and we can easily gloss over those. What is God teaching Joseph? And then what is he teaching us today as we read that? What is he showing us in that? And so the first thing I want us to consider is that God is working and meets us in those struggles. In those times of crisis, God doesn't leave us, but he is at work in them. And I think when we look at Joseph and Mary that we looked at last week, these two young people are put in pretty much an impossible situation. But yet God meets them in the middle of it and continues to speak to them and walk them through this. With Mary, she gets it on the front end before anything happens and God tells her. And although she has a lot of things that she's got to carry and a lot of weight that goes with that, she's certain of what's going on. Joseph is kind of hit with this and now he's in the middle of the crisis and then God speaks to him. Right. But in in verse 19, when it says and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And as he considered these things, so he's thinking on this and he thinks he's got a plan. Right. He's presented with a crisis and he's struggling with it and he thinks he's figured out a good plan on the way he's going to go forward. And then God meets him in the middle of that. But I want you to think about that for just a second. Before God speaks to Joseph and before he tells him and he's sitting in the middle of that, maybe you've been in a crisis in your life, a difficulty, a hard situation, and you're not sure how to go forward. Maybe you can think of different times where that's been the case. Uh, Maybe where you work. Maybe in your work you have an ethical dilemma. You see something clearly that you should do, but someone above you, your boss or someone over you is wanting you to do it a different way. You go, ethically, I think I should do it this way, but my boss is telling me to do it that way. That's a tough decision of how should I go through this, especially when it's kind of a gray area. Or maybe it's a friend or a relationship and you need to speak the truth and you see something that's detrimental or a problem and you know you should say it. But if you do, it might cause relational strain. And go, I'm not sure what to do. Or maybe it's even grayer than that. Maybe it's a friend or a family or a loved one that needs money. But you see them in destructive patterns and behaviors. And you go, if I give them this, I want to help them. But if I do, it may enable them to continue down that path. And you go, man, I'm not sure what to do. And it's difficult in those situations to know how to proceed, to know how to go forward. But God, in these moments with Mary and Joseph, shows up and he speaks clearly to them. And he tells them exactly what they're to do. Mary beforehand, Joseph, after he's sitting kind of in the middle of this and turning it over and struggling with what's going on. But God shows up. And in verse 20, 
It says as he was. <clears throat> but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is in her is from the Holy Spirit, which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so God shows up in the middle of this situation and he tells Joseph, it's OK. She's not been unfaithful. What she's telling you is actually true. As far fetched as the story seems and as you're wrestling with this, it's OK. I am at work in this and you can take her as your wife. And so God shows up and meets him in this moment of crisis and shows him what is true. And you can read that story and you go, yes, look at how God shows up and he meets us in the middle. And so what does that mean for us? Because if, if we're following along and we're thinking about it, and you think about crisis in your life. I don't think you can come tell me later if it's different, but I've not had an angel show up and tell me exactly what to do. It's OK. I know you're struggling, but God says do this. It'd be really nice if it was. Here's the answer. Now go forward and do it this way. Oh, OK, great. And so what do we take from that? We go, well, yes, we believe that God is living and active and he's in at work and he doesn't leave us alone and he's teaching us. But then how do we make those tough decisions when we're in a similar place? What do we do in the most uh, struggles where there's a crisis and it's not a clear answer on how to go forward and how do we begin to do that? And so when we start to think about Christmas and what we celebrate, we talk about Advent. First of all, God does love us and he cares for us. And he's proven that in Jesus by coming to us. Right? Matthew says right after he tells this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We worship a God who is with us, who entered time and space, who left his throne to come to us, to be near us. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. He is your faithful high priest that has been tempted in every way that you are. That's what we celebrate at Christmas and Advent and Jesus coming. But he doesn't come just to be an example to follow, although he is the perfect example. He comes to do what we cannot do for us, that we can have a perfect relationship with him by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. And that's why he comes to live the life that we haven't lived, but he does it perfectly. And then to die the death that we deserve as he takes our sin upon himself. And in doing so, he unites us perfectly with God, the father through his finished work. And then he comes and lives inside us in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, uniting us to him. And so in anything you go through, any crisis, any situation, any difficulty, God is with us. And he doesn't leave us and he doesn't forsake us. And Jesus says that so clearly. I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. And I've overcome the world and I'm with you in this. And so he is with us in a very real way in all things. But the truth is, I still go, man, but when I still come to a crisis, it's still hard to make a decision. So how do I do that? The Bible says you have the Holy Spirit now in you, with you at all times. You're united with God. You have a perfect relationship with your heavenly father because of what Jesus has done. And then God has spoken to us clearly in his son, the word, the word that became flesh. And he's told us how we can relate to him and what it looks like in his word. He's given us the spirit and he's placed us in a community of believers, 
a family of faith that we are called to speak the truth to one another and encourage each other in this. Because so how do we make those very tough decisions when they come? We seek the God as we seek that relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word and community together. And that's what God tells us to do. And he calls us to do that. And he says, I don't leave you and I don't forsake you. And I've equipped all these people around you with different gifts and wisdom and discernment through my spirit. And you come together and you do that together. And this is one of the struggles, though, when we get into really difficult situations, particularly in our culture. I have a difficult decision to make. I'm in a crisis. And what do I do? And I'm not sure. And oftentimes we go, well, I'll seek God and I'll try to figure that out on my own. And you should seek God and you do go to him in prayer and we do spend time in his word. But the Bible never calls you to do that on your own. Ninety five times in the New Testament, it says one another. Ninety five times. God calls us and saves us into a community of believers of those ninety five times. Half of them have to do with following the commands of Jesus of walking out your faith faithfully and obedient. And it's always in this context of one another. Encourage one another, correct one another, love one another, serve one another, walk together. And he calls us to do this together. And so we start to go, well, how do I make the really difficult decisions? God hasn't spoken to me in an angel and telling me exactly what I should do. We faithfully hold the God's word and the power of the spirit in a community of believers, and we seek him together. And we speak the truth in love. And we walk out clearly what God's word says to us. And I tell you the importance of of being in a community. You may go, I'm not sure how to go forward in this. And you come together with other believers and more mature believers that have been following the Lord for a long time. Go, you know, the Bible actually speaks to that. You go, I didn't know that. I go, let's look at that together. And sometimes it's real clear exactly where the way we're to go forward because it's in God's word and he's told us. But even in the times when it's not, there's sometimes where we open up God's word and we go, man, I have this thing in front of me. And it seems like they're both legitimate ways forward. And the Bible doesn't clearly say that's where it's really difficult. But in that, we seek the wisdom of one another as we seek the Lord and we hold the God's word and we seek to follow that through. And we're not called to do that on our own, which is a good news. You don't have to do that by yourself. And God calls us to do that together. And so when we start to think about those difficult times like Joseph is going through, and we see God clearly show up to Joseph. God is still living and active and he shows up in our crisis, in our situations. And he's called to do it, us to do it in the power of the spirit under his word and community together, seeking him in those things. And so that's the first thing I want us to see. But the second thing, as we think about those times of crisis, God is there with us and he's leading us in it as we seek him. But the second thing I want us to see is what God is teaching us about our identity in those hard times. What he's teaching us about who we are and what that means for us. And if you read closely in this and what's going on with Joseph It says, as he considered these things, the angel spoke to him, says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I want you to think about this, and I want you to fight to identify with Joseph for just a second. And what he's going through and what he heard and what he sees and what God's saying to him. And the first thing that I want you to see as he's going through this is the grace of God to him here. Here's a guy in a real crisis. My fiance is pregnant and it's not mine and I don't know what to do. And God graciously shows up and reassures him and says, it's okay. I am at work in this and you can take her as your wife. And I just want you to think about how gracious that is of God. To stop and take the time and to tell him and direct him and to show him and he does. But the second thing I want you to start to think about is that God says this child's not yours, but it's for me and it's God with us. This is the long promised Messiah. This is the one that is going to save your people from their sins. The one who's come to save us. And he tells them that he says, you're going to name him Jesus. You know what Jesus means? God saves. So you're going to name him God saves because he's coming to save his people from their sins. And that's what he tells Joseph. It's not your son. It's not your flesh and blood, but it's something way better and way greater because God is coming to save his people from their sins. And the reality of that is that hits Joseph and he's wrestling with that, that God has come and God saves and he's the one doing it. And what a incredible experience that would be as he's contemplating and thinking those things. And maybe you've gone through different times in your life, in your walk with the Lord, where you feel like God has just showed you something. It's that mountaintop experience and you're overwhelmed by it. You're like, look at who God is and look at what he's doing. And you're wrestling with all those things. But you know what happens? You wake up the next day and then the next day and then the next day and the next day. And then all of a sudden, Joseph is looking around. He's going, this is not my kid. Everybody's going to think that we've already slept together. She's pregnant before we're actually married. I don't even get to name the kid, right? Which that may seem like a side note, but culturally your identity was found in your children and in your family and being able to name them. That's a big deal. If you go back and you read with Zachariah and Elizabeth, when they tell Zachariah that the son is going to be named John and he tells everybody his name will be John. And everybody goes, what are you talking about? It's not a family name. Why are you naming him John? That was a big deal. And so all the things that a young man like Joseph would be. And let me remind you, we said this last week and the week before, but Mary was most likely 13, 14, 15. Joseph close to the same age, 14, 15, 16. You're a 16 year old guy excited about being married. Possibility of having kids, having a son, getting to name them. And all of a sudden, all of those things start to be kind of stripped away. Culturally, that's a big deal. You don't get to name them. It's not your son. It's God's. And you start to see him kind of pulling these things away. And if you notice or if you look closely in verse 25, it says, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Knew her not. Right? It means being intimate with her, consummating their marriage. 
And so here he is and all these things that a young man would be excited about and being married and being part of that and being intimate with his wife and all those things are put on hold. And all those things are starting to be pulled away. But notice here, just as a side note, it does say, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Uh, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. The Bible clearly teaches that Joseph and Mary consummated their relationship and that Jesus had brothers and sisters that came from Joseph as their father and Mary, their mother. A side note, but the Catholic Church would teach that she was a virgin and she was sinless. And the Bible does not say that. It says the opposite. She was in need of a savior just as Joseph was. But you see God working in all of this and he's starting to take away these things that a man would normally find his identity in. But the trade off here is that you're going to have a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. And I want you just to think about what God's doing in Joseph's life in the middle of this crisis. You're going to have this son and he's going to be the one that came to that comes to do what you can't do for yourself. He's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to restore us to the relationship with God that we have long desired. The deepest desire of the heart of every person on the planet. This child is going to do that. But that means you don't get to name him. And it's not your child. And you're going to have to wait to be intimate with your wife. And he starts to take these things. And I want you to think about that what we normally find our identity in. Our family, our relationships, the way people look at us. Right? I think even Joseph, when it says he resolved to divorce her quietly, part of that may have been, I don't want people to be thinking that I slept with her before we were married. Culturally very taboo against what God says about marriage. And now as he takes her as his wife, that's what everyone's going to assume. So now his reputation is gone. Doesn't get to name the kid. Doesn't get to choose uh, the name. It's not actually his son. All those things we would normally get our identity from. And God's teaching him all those. And he's pulling those away. But I want you to think about how gracious it is of God to Joseph in that. All the things that we can normally get our identity from are pulled away from him. And all that's left is this child. God with us, the one who's come. See, the truth is, if we really stop and think about it, my children that I've been blessed to have, three boys that have come from me and my wife, that are biologically mine, are not really mine in the sense of their God's. We've had this conversation recently, and Quinn was very disturbed by this. I'm not actually your father. God is. And it's like, wait a second. I go, well, I am. But without God, I don't exist and you don't exist. And he's ultimately our father. And Joseph would have had that ever clear and present reminder right in front of him. That this is God's and this is God's work and what he's done. And when he'd seek to get his identity as look at my son and what he's doing, he would be reminded. And we all need that reminder. See, what happens is we love our children so much that it's natural for us to seek to get our identity from them. But they can't do that. And the same is true with all the other things that we put in God's rightful place. 
And I don't mean to be crass when you think about this story and what's happening, but I think of the teenage groom, Joseph, excited to be intimate with his wife. And it's like, you're going to wait. It's like, what? Right? The things you normally are excited about and you get your identity from and God goes, no, you're going to wait. And he knew her not until after she gave birth and the things that we normally make our life all about. And he says here that he's the one that's come to save us from their sins. Our sins are putting things in God's rightful place and seeking to get our identity from them. Right? Mixing up the order in which they go, love God and then love people. If we begin to love people over loving God, then we're getting our identity from the wrong place and it gets all messed up. And God was showing Joseph that all the way through. So God gives us many good gifts. Sex is a good gift from God that is meant to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in marriage for life. But when we seek to make it something else or even doing it in the way that God has shown us and we make it our identity, it will betray us because it cannot stand up to that. The same is true with our family, with our children, with our spouse, with our job, with our hobbies. If we seek to get our identity from those things, they will not be able to do it. And God graciously was showing Joseph this. And I would say to you in the middle of crisis in our life. Oftentimes those crises are around placing things in a place they should have never been in. And then when they're removed from that place, everything comes crumbling down. And what it does is it reveals our heart and it shows us where we're truly getting our identity from. And God meets us in the middle of that and he says, your identity is found in me and nothing else. And that's exactly what he's doing in this story. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. That all our deepest needs and longings are found in Jesus and no one else. And so as we end today and you think about the crisis in your life, God doesn't leave us or forsake us. And he shows us how to move forward. And it's by the power of his spirit and community, holding fast to his word, seeking him in those ways. But then in the moment of those crises, how God teaches us and reminds us that our identity is found in nothing else but him alone. And so as we think about Christmas this week, I know you're going to leave here today. You'll probably be really busy this afternoon and tomorrow and Tuesday as we celebrate Christmas. And you go and you get to have an opportunity to be with your friends and your family. And so thank God for the good gift of friends and family and enjoy that time. And you get to give gifts and receive gifts and spend time together. And so thank God that you get to receive gifts and give gifts. That is a good and joyful thing that God has given us. And so enjoy that. But as you go and do all those things, please be reminded that your identity is found in nothing other than Jesus. He is the reason that we celebrate. All these other things are great, but they should take their rightful place at the feet of our king. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you love us enough that you meet us in the middle of difficult times. And so I pray right now for those that maybe are in a, a situation that really is a crisis, that is a struggle, that is hard and how to go forward and what it looks like. And I pray that you would meet them in the middle of that, that you would continue to remind them that you are with them, that you're working in and through body of believers that you surrounded them with that you have made yourself known to us and you don't leave us or forsake us. And so we thank you for that. 
I pray that those that are in the middle of that, that you would just continue to guide and show them. Give us opportunities to encourage one another for your glory and for our good. And we pray that as we do, that we would root and ground our identity in you and nothing else. We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.